for the first time today, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And if you're joining us online right now for the very first time, welcome. We're glad that you're joining us today. And we hope that you'll come back. You'll join us again. I believe God's doing some wonderful things here at our church. And we couldn't be more thrilled that you're here today. Hey, before we go to the Word this morning, I want to tell you about a couple things happening. The first is this. Uh, several uh, weeks back, we announced that uh, we were opening up for you to make recommendations of men who you think would be um, qualified and able to serve in the role of elder here at the church. And uh, through that process, you have given us uh, several names, and the elders began to do you know, uh, spend a lot of time with these guys and, and really try to weigh in and discern, you know, who it is that God is leading to us. And this is something that we do every year. So if you're new here, this, we do this every, every year. Every summer we go through this process. And it all leads to this weekend here in September where this year God, we believe, has elevated two men from our congregation to join the eldership. And uh, one of those is, is Robin Corder. And I've got a picture of Robin here. This is his wife, Val. Robin has actually served here as an elder before, and uh, which really feel like God is raising him back up to, to join our elder team again for another three-year term. And so Robin is one of them. And the other one is Wally Kaminsky. And here's a picture of Wally and his wife, Wendy. And, and they're just both very faithful to our church and been involved. And, and both of these men served faithfully for years. And, and this would be Wally's first time to be an elder. And but after doing a, a lot of just prayer and, and investigation and conversation, we just really feel like these are the two men at this time that God is elevating uh, for our church family. And so what I'm asking you to do is to begin praying about this for the next two weeks. And if anybody in our church family, any member, feels that either of these men should not serve in that role for any reason, we'd like to know. We'd like to hear that from you. And so please just put it in writing and, and, and send it to the elders or send it to, to the church here and, and uh, let it be known. Email, email one of the elders say, hey, uh, here's, here's some concerns I have. And this is a process, like I said, if you've been around New Life for a while, you know we do this every year. But uh, we'd like to hear from you. And if you don't have any objections, then we take that as we affirm. We believe the elders have gone through this process, done all their due diligence, and, and have prayed through this and believe, you know. And so the, the fact that we're showing you their pictures and putting it out there, they've already have our confidence as leaders here. So now we're asking you as a church to affirm that. And then a couple weekends from now, we'll have our, our standard of affirmation vote. And it'll be, it'll be, we're figuring that out the best way to do that since the majority of our church family is still online and haven't come back yet. But we're figuring that out. But we want to let you know, I, I personally feel so good about these two men serving these roles. And, and please let us know if you have a different feeling. Now, another thing I want to tell you before we get going into the text today Last night was very special. I sent an email to the church uh, last week, and if you read it, then you know that I'm talking about the ordination of David Brown. David Brown is our executive administrator here at the church, and this is a picture from last night. I want to show you. We did this uh, during our Saturday night service. This is David on his knees, and this is myself and, and some of our elders here behind him. We laid hands on him. And ordination is a special thing. It's like setting somebody apart for the special work of full-time vocational Christian ministry. And um, David uh, and, and the elders and I, we've been going through this process with him for several years now. And I won't repeat the whole story, but this was just a very special, special night. David's role here is going to change from being our executive administrator. Now he's going to be our executive pastor. 
And so David definitely, um, I'm just so thrilled that he's taking this step. And, um, and anyway, I just want to show you that picture so you guys could, could share in that joyful thing that happened last night. Yeah, absolutely. David's been on quite a journey and uh, leaving 30 years uh, in corporate America setting to be used of God in this setting. And he, he pretty much several years ago started to sense this call. Ah, Lord, I think you're calling me away from this part of the world that I've been in in 30 years to take everything that I've learned and can I apply many of those things in the church context and can you use me for the rest of my career serving you full time in this way and that started him on a long journey he and his wife that took several years to get to this point now he served as an elder here for several years he's been on staff since december and now we're going to set him apart and 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 so we we're ready for you to be one of our pastors and it's, it's, it's been an awesome journey, and I'm sure he would love to tell you all about it whenever you see him. All right, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, please. That's where we're going to be today, Luke chapter 5. And as you're, as you're turning there to Luke chapter 5 and finding that, let me just say this. Turning points in life are big deals. They really are. Um, all of us have them from time to time. You know, uh, these turning points are these transitional moments in our lives. I can tell you a big turning point for me, I've had lots of them, but a big turning point, one of the first ones that I can think about is graduating from high school, leaving home and going to college. Huge turning point in my life. It's like my transition to adulthood. And, and all of us who are adults have made that transition of like, okay, that's a huge turning point. There's a lot of turning points in life. Getting married is a turning point. Buying your first poem is a turning point. Having your first child, that's a turning point. Changing jobs or changing careers, turning point. Overcoming a health crisis or a near-death experience or a health scare, those can be turning points. If you've ever had to relocate, especially several states away, that's a turning point in life. Going from um, working to retirement, that is a turning point in life. There are lots and lots of these turning points that, that we all experience. It's, it's part of life. It's those things that we say there was a before and an after. And if there's anything in your life that's like this is a before and this is an after, that's a turning point in your life. When you say, you know, before this happened, it was like this. But since then, now it's like this. That's, that's a turning point. And like I said, life is full of these turning points. But, you know, not just those. There's other kinds of turning points as well. I would call them spiritual turning points. A spiritual turning point might look like this. Maybe the first time you ever entered a church. That can be a turning point. Oh, man, before that I never went to church. But after that first visit, God stirred something in my heart. Or perhaps the first time that you truly opened your Bible and began to read it and the Lord used his words to speak something to your heart and you're like, that changed my life. That was a turning point. Obviously, the decision to follow Jesus, that's a turning point, isn't it? There is nothing larger in somebody's life. There's not a bigger before and after than when you say, I am ready to follow Jesus with all my heart. That turning point came for me when I was 11 years old. And I've shared this with you before. I won't go all the details, but I was 11 years old. And I remember growing up, obviously, in church, being at church camp and, and starting to be involved in the children's ministry and the youth ministry and all those things had a huge impact on my life. And, and, and so I remember I was feeling this, 
I'm lost without Jesus since in me. And I remember sitting down with my father, who, who was a preacher for 50-some years, and I said, Dad, I, I, think, I, I think God's stirring in my heart. And so my dad did the preacher thing. He sat me down and did a Bible study and asked me a bunch of questions, you know, and, which I greatly appreciate now. And he said, you are ready. And that following Sunday at church, I came forward at the end of the service. I was sitting, not in this room, but in the church I was at. It was at this section over here. And I walked to the front, told the church, I'm ready to follow Jesus with all my heart. And my dad baptized me that morning. That's a turning point, friends. And I've never looked back ever. Never looked back from that. The Bible is full of stories of people who experienced massive turning points in their lives, moments that changed the whole course of their life, moments that they would look back on and say, that's the moment where everything changed for me. And when I think about turning points, and I think about those big moments where you're never going to be the same, I think about Peter. Peter. Peter had more than one turning point, but the one that's heavy on my heart today is found in Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to just tell you, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. So we might be in for a long one this morning, folks. It's one of my favorites. I'm kidding. It's not going to be a long one. Well, it depends on what you consider. Well, it's all subjective, you know. Luke chapter 5, where Peter has this incredible turning point. But he doesn't know Jesus as a disciple just yet. When we catch up with him in Luke chapter 5, he is not not following Jesus in the sense that he would later in life. Now in Luke chapter 5, you have this account of some fishermen who are on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and they were cleaning out their nets. This was a normal daily activity for them. Nothing out of the ordinary. This is just what they do. Peter, James, and John were their names, and those are familiar names to us if you've spent any time in the church at all. But like I said, none of them are disciples just yet. They're just hardworking fishermen trying to provide for their families. And when I say hardworking, this is what I mean by hardworking. They would go out in their fishing boats in the middle of the night, and they would take these huge, heavy nets, and they would roll them off to the side of the boat, let them sink down, and then they would haul them up. And whatever happened to be in the nets, that's what they put in their boat. And then they would throw the nets over and haul them up. And they would do this over and over and over and over all night long. You know they had to be exhausted at the end of their fishing shift. And, and this is not the kind of fishing that we do here in Bella Vista. Here in Bella Vista, what do we like to do? We like to have some snacks, throw a line in the water off of our boat or off the dock, and sit there and wait and see what happens. We haul it in. It's not that much work. At least, at least that's not the kind of fishing I do. No, these guys are hard-working fishermen, and you know they're wiped by the end of fishing all night long. So in Luke chapter 5, it's the end of a long, exhausting night of fishing The Bible tells us they caught nothing. So can you imagine doing this over and over and over and over, being totally exhausted and coming up completely empty? And they went back to shore, and they started to clean their nets. And while they're cleaning their nets, they're noticing this large group of people gathering on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And I'll tell you, this moment that's begun to happen that we're going to read about here in just a moment Peter had no idea that when he was pulling his boat in, exhausted from a fruitless night of fishing, and this crowd that was on the shore, he had no idea that this was about to turn into the biggest turning point of his life. He didn't see this coming. He had no idea that on this particular day that's described in Luke chapter 5, that his life was going to change 
forever, that it would become one of the most memorable moments, one of the biggest before and afters of his entire life. And you know, I think that's kind of how it is with a lot of turning points, isn't it? You don't always see them coming. When God shakes things up in your life, he doesn't always give you a heads up, does he? Can I get an amen? Here's what it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is just another word for the Sea of Galilee. We're talking about the same body of water. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out from shore a little out from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now let me just tell you something about what's happening in Jesus' life in Luke chapter 5. He has already attracted a lot of attention to himself. How has he done that? He's been preaching. He's been moving around with people. He's been doing some miracles. There was already people that wanted to be around Jesus and see what he was doing. But at the same time, there was also those that have already made an attempt on his life to kill him. He's ruffled some feathers by this point. In fact, it, you don't need to turn there, but if you were to look back one page in your Bible to Luke chapter 4, you would read about one of these incidents. He was invited to read Scripture in the synagogue during worship, and you know what Jesus does? He rolls out the scroll, and he begins to read from the book of Isaiah a prophecy about the Messiah. He closes it up, and I'm going to summarize the whole thing into this statement. Jesus said, this prophecy is about me. There you go. Well, that didn't set too well with the people there. Wait a minute. That's blasphemy. You, know, you read it sometime because you may have never read this before. The people in the synagogue and that area, they were so angry with Jesus that they grabbed him. They hauled him to the edge of town where there was this hill or this cliff. And they were going to throw him off. Did you know that was in the Bible? And here's one of these miracles in Luke 4. Just turn back one page. You'll see it. It says, the Bible says that Jesus just walked out of the crowd. How does that happen? Uh, it, well, it doesn't for any of us, but with Jesus, who can command everything, that can happen. So they want to kill him. It's a mob, and he just walks away. It's simply because his time had not come yet. There's moments like this in Jesus's life where it's like, it's not time for me to die, so I'm going to leave. Nobody can do a thing about it. But on this particular day, back in Luke chapter 5 now, there's a lot of people. They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And they had followed him to the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And I kind of get this impression that they had backed him up to the water's edge and he had nowhere to go. So it's kind of like if people were flooding into this room and you just start to fill up, fill up. There comes a point where there's nowhere else to fill up. And we have water. And so Jesus gets Peter's boat. Because what's Peter doing? He just happens to be there cleaning his nets. And he says, hey, I need your boat. And so he gets Peter's boat. He pushes it a few feet from shore. And Jesus gets in the boat and he begins to teach the people. Now, I also want to say this. I don't believe that was a coincidence. I read Luke chapter 5 and I think you'll probably come to the same conclusion. I don't think it was just a coincidence that Jesus happened to be preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee right next to Peter. I, I, I think that this was more of what I would call a divine appointment. That day, Jesus taught people about God, but he's going to specifically call Peter to drop his nets for another kind of catch. Jesus is going to merge 
two moments into one for a very significant impact on Peter and his friends. And I, I wonder how many of us are not that different from Peter. Now, we're out there doing life. We're, in a sense, cleaning our nets, going about our daily lives. We've got our routines and we've got our calendars and our daytimers and, and they're often full and they're crowded. But hopefully not so crowded, hopefully not so full, hopefully not so much about just going through our everyday lives that we miss what could potentially be a divine appointment from God. Hopefully not so much that you miss Jesus calling in your life. Hopefully not so much that you too wouldn't drop your nets and follow Jesus in that moment. Well, here, let's see what happens. Look at verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, which is another word for, another name for Peter, Simon Peter. He said, Peter, put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And then Simon answered him this way in verse 5. Master, we have worked hard all night long and have caught nothing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets for a catch. I'll tell you something, if you know much about Peter, isn't he the guy that gets pretty heavily criticized at times in the Bible? I mean, we look at Peter and go, uh, you know, Peter, you were the one that tried to walk out on water and you lost faith and you sank and Jesus had to rescue you. Angry and he pulled out his sword and he chopped off the ear of Malchus the soldier. Remember that part? And we're still not sure. Scholars are divided on whether uh, Peter's just bad with the sword or he was aiming for the ear. We don't know. I think, he, I think he missed, but he nipped the ear. And, of course, you know the moment Jesus picked up the ear and healed the man, and this was all part of God's plan. But we sometimes criticize Peter, and we say, oh, what are you doing? But let me tell you something. Right here in Luke chapter 5, he gets an A-plus for this answer. He says to Jesus, Master, we have worked hard all night long. Translation, I'm tired, I want to go home, I'm just trying to get this shift over, and I'm ready to go home. But then he says, but, but I'll do it because it's you. That's the only reason. I'll do it because you tell me to do it, that's why I will do it, that's the only reason. And is it any wonder with an answer like that that Peter has been set apart from the other disciples in many ways? Is it any surprise that with an answer like that that Jesus would say of him later in his ministry in Matthew 16, 18 where he looks at Peter and he says, I'll tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is that guy. This is Peter. Master, because it's you, I'll do it. And I think he could have used a number of excuses. I think Peter had probably a hundred of them if he wanted to use them. He could have said to Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he could have said, hey, Jesus, listen, we go at night. This is the wrong time of day to fish. You don't know what you're asking me. This is a waste of time. He could have said that, and we've often made all kinds of excuses too like that. Peter could have said to Jesus, um, Jesus, no offense, but I've been fishing these waters my whole life, and I don't need any advice from a carpenter. You build the boats, and we use them to fish. That's how this works. Now, he could have done that. Peter could have said uh, something like, oh, I just cleaned all these nets. 
you want me to go get him dirty at a, the wrong time of day and it's a fruitless effort? I got to redo it. I mean, he could have just said to Jesus, I'm tired. I don't want to. He could have said all that, but, but he didn't. His response was what? Because you say so, I'll do it. Can you imagine what our cities and our towns and our communities and our villages would be like if everyone in every church in every single one of those communities and cities would respond to everything that the Lord says the way that Peter did? Because you say so, I'll do it. Because you spoke it, Lord, I'll do it. Because it says so clearly in your word, I will obey. Can you imagine if every church in Bella Vista, every single person who claimed to know Jesus Christ would have that response to Jesus' words and live their lives with that level of integrity and that level of commitment? Do you think we would have as many lost people in our community? I don't know, it's speculation, but I think not. Can you imagine if people were like, Lord, I'll forgive my brother because I know it's pleasing to you and that's what you want. Lord, I will live my life with integrity because I know that kind of life honors you. Lord, I will be patient because you were patient and your word says to be like you. And so I will try to be patient. Lord, I will follow your word simply because it's your words. And I believe them to be. It's interesting, Peter calls Jesus what? He calls him master. And that's not an accidental word. That Greek word for master literally means someone of high status. That's what that word means. Someone of very high status. It's like, it's like Peter is saying, Jesus, in my eyes, I already see you as a VIP. Now remember, this is before he was ever called to be a disciple. But he said, I see you as somebody very important. Now, something to note here, this is not the first time that Peter and Jesus had had an interaction together. It's not like Jesus was just on the sea of, shore of the Sea of Galilee and he randomly met Peter and said, come follow me. No, there's a little bit of history here. You might remember if you've studied the New Testament that, that Peter has a brother named Andrew and Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist was, was baptized, um, John the Baptist identified Jesus as the one. And remember John the Baptist said all those things, I'm not fit to untie his sandals and this and that. And Andrew was so taken by this as one of John's disciples that the Bible says in John chapter 1 that Andrew runs and he finds his brother, Peter, and they come to meet Jesus. P Peter, has, Peter has some knowledge that there's something special. It's not a surprise that he says, Master. And they have another encounter too. In fact, this is in Luke chapter 4, you know, one page back. Jesus actually visited Peter's home before this. And it was in this moment that Peter's mother-in-law became very ill. And Jesus healed her inside that house. It's not a surprise after, after Peter has some exposure to Jesus from his brother and their time with John the Baptist and, and Jesus' time in Peter's home and he sees Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law. It's not a shock to us then why Peter would say, Master, and it's not really a shock to us either why Peter might be close to Jesus as he's cleaning his nets and this divine appointment is about to happen. And he says, Master. And that says something to me and I hope that says something to you. And it makes me ask the question, how do you address Jesus today? Because in that moment, there was only one word that Peter could use, and he says, Master. 
And I wonder, how do you address Jesus today? Is he the master who gave his life on the cross so that we might have eternal life? Or is he a curse word for you? Is he the Lord of all creation or is he a neat figure in history that we talk about on Sundays? Is he the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, or is he just the name of somebody we sing about at church? I'll tell you, Peter got it right. Jesus is the Master. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who will one day come again. And in that day that he comes again, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is indeed Lord, that he is the Master of all things. And I'll just tell you where I am. I would prefer to go ahead and proclaim and acknowledge that truth today than wait for it on that day when I'm forced to do it. I say we're better off just acknowledging Jesus, owning who he is, and surrendering our lives to him now in this life. Peter seems to have some awareness that Jesus is somebody of very high status. But like I said, Jesus hadn't called him to follow him yet. Peter is right now just fishing. He's just a working man. But he knew enough about Jesus to call him master. Let's look what happens next. Look at verse 6. So he obeys Jesus, and he goes back out in the Sea of Galilee, and he throws his nets into the deep water. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now this is just an amazing miracle to me. They trusted Jesus, they dropped their nets, and to their amazement, Peter just blown away, they caught the most amazing catch of fish they had ever seen. There was never a day on the Sea of Galilee experienced by any fisherman that could ever come close to comparing to this catch, this one drop of the net pulling the fish in. It was, it was an incredible miracle. And I, I want to tell you something, like the average fishing boat in the first century was about 25 feet long. To give you some perspective, this screen, these three screens behind me all stacked side by side, that is 30 feet long to the, to the point, 30 feet. So just think about it this way, just a, a, a foot or two inside of this screen all the way to over here. That's a pretty good sized boat. And these boats were 10, 12 feet wide, you know, and if you, you can Google uh, pictures of first century fishing boats, and, or if you've seen The Chosen or any Christian movie, you're going to get a sense of what these boats look like. These are not little boats. These are good-sized boats, 25-foot-long boats. When I was in Israel a couple years ago, there's a display near the Sea of Galilee of a, a fishing boat from the first century. And, and you, sometimes you Google, it's called the Jesus Boat. And they discovered this. It had sunk sometime in the first century, sometime around the time of Jesus, in the area Jesus would have been. That's why they called it the Jesus boat. A lot of it had rotted away, but the whole of it, the whole, was still intact. And, and it took years to bring this up and preserve it and display it. But you, you Google it sometime after I'm done preaching. It's, it's fascinating. And if you ever get a chance to be in Israel, you've got to go see the Jesus boat. But these are, are big big boats. 25 feet long, 10 feet wide, and it begins to sink. How many fish would it take to sink a boat like that? 
And there was, it was going to sink, and so what do they do? They, they, they brought in the other boats, and there were multiple boats now that were so full of fish that they're taking on water. They had fished all night, and they'd caught nothing. But when Jesus told them to drop their nets, they pulled up so much, they weren't sure they were going to get back to shore. What's the difference? Just a few hours before, they caught nothing. And now they've got the most miraculous catch of fish ever that's sinking their boats. What was the difference between those two experiences? The difference is they went fishing when Jesus told them to go fishing. Here's the difference. They trusted the Lord. They went when Jesus told them to go. They dropped their nets when Jesus told them to drop them where he told them to drop them. You know what I think is vital for every follower of Jesus? It's a willingness in your heart to follow Jesus wherever he leads your life. And that's no little thing. To follow Jesus wherever he says to go and to obey and do whatever he tells us to do. And there are going to be times that that is going to cut across the grain of our culture. There's going to be plenty of times that following Jesus and going wherever he tells you to go is going to break some customs and some norms in this world. There's going to be some things where you say, I'm doing this for Jesus because he tells me to, and this is righteousness in his eyes. And it's going to cut against the grain of society's common wisdom. Well, that's not anyone else does. Common wisdom of the day says you don't drop your nets in this water at this time of day. I would imagine there were other fishermen along the shore that was wondering, Peter, what are you doing? Why are you going back out? That doesn't make any sense. Why are you wasting your time? Jesus told me to do it. Are you crazy? That's nuts. I think it's vital that every Christian, every follower of Jesus, somewhere deep down inside has this, Lord, Wherever you tell me to go, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Because you're my master. Um, sometimes God takes us to surprising places in surprising ways because he wants to stretch us. You know, I, I think back of <laughs> my wife and I and some of our journeys through life and, and, and even what precipitated us coming to Bella Vista. You know, for those of you who don't know, I used to be a pastor for about 11 years up in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, we were happy. So you wonder where I became such a Chiefs fan, as I used to live in Kansas City. They decided to get good after I moved away. So, uh, but my wife and I, were, we were, in our mentality was, we've been here 11 years. We started looking for another house. We wanted to get in something a little bigger. Uh, we were still kind of in one of our first homes, and it was, uh, we, we bought it when we had no children, and once we had children, it wasn't quite as big as we thought it was when we bought it. You have that experience? Okay, get children, fill up a house. And we had kind of determined, hey, let's just spend our whole careers with this church. Let's just, let's just pour ourselves into this whole church, and let's see what God does with it. And we were 11 years in, and we were mentally prepared to do another 30 and I, I don't know um, how you guys think about your futures, but I know my wife and I, and we all do this to some degree, to some way. We, we used to lay in bed at night and talk and, and dream about our future. And we'd like, do you think God will ever take us here? 
do you think God would ever want us to serve here? And I would say things like, do you think God would ever want us to serve in Hawaii? Um, do you, there's, people need Jesus in Hawaii, you know, and she loves New York City. She's like, I think God will ever take us to New York. And I said, no, I don't want to go to the gates of hell. I, I don't want to go to New York. Are you nuts? I married a city girl. Anybody else marry a city girl? Loves the city? I, I, my wife loves the city. I, I, but it's interesting. We, we would talk about this and dream and, and we try to always have this mentality. Wherever you lead, Lord, will go. Wherever you want, will go. Very happy being happy in Kansas City. And I can tell you in all those conversations, Arkansas never came up one time. Never once did we say, let's go. Wouldn't it be cool if God takes us to Arkansas? It just, it just didn't happen. And so when, when, when this all happened, and it became really clear that this is what God wanted, and it shook us up. It took a long time, but it, it shook us up that God's taken us somewhere else. And, um, and I... And I I go, sometimes God takes us in surprising places and in surprising ways to stretch us because we weren't sure we could do this. And I'm just being honest with you, Bella Vista is quite a difference than from Kansas City. (laughs) Amen, amen. But you know, God also, not only does he take you in strange places at times and surprising places to stretch you, but you know, he'll also, through obedience, bless you. And I can tell you that coming to Arkansas has been the biggest blessing of our entire lives. And getting to do this with you has been beyond our wildest imaginations. Now we're like, why didn't Arkansas come up in those dreams? I don't know. But I tell you, I believe, this is not like halo on my head, but I just, I'm trying to express what I believe is vital for every follower of Jesus is to have this mentality that says, Lord, wherever you lead, I will go. Whatever you want me to do, I will follow. Wherever you want me to obey, I will obey, and I will just trust you. If you say, drop the nets here, I'll do it. And then let God handle the rest of the details. Let God handle the catch of the fish. You be responsible for the obedience. Let God be responsible for the results. And I believe that's the mentality. I see that in Peter here. So, so he, he, he casts his nets on, on the other side of the boat, or on, on the, in the deep water, rather, and he hauls up this large catch of fish, and then something amazing happens in this boat. If you can get the visual, both boats are trying to haul the fish in. The boats are about to sink, and, and we see something out of Peter that's unexpected, and I think it was unexpected for himself, too. The Bible says that he falls at Jesus' feet. Something very significant dawns on him, and I want us to read about it. Look at verse 8. This is what happens. It's totally unexpected. When Simon Peter saw this, this huge catch of fish, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished as the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And I wonder, does Peter's response here in in verse 8, does that surprise anybody here today? After this great catch, he falls at Jesus' knees, and the only thing that he can think to say is, go away from me. Go away. I am a sinful man. Why would he say such a thing? Why would Peter respond in this, what I would consider somewhat strange way? Because I think he could have said, we're rich. 
But he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I think Peter responded to Jesus the way he did is because at that moment, he realized that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. And Jesus wasn't just a doer of good things. And I think it was at that moment that Peter even realized that Jesus was more than a master. I think it was in this moment on this boat that is sinking, coming with water, tons of fish. I think it was in that moment that Peter recognized that he was actually in the presence of a higher power. I think it was in that moment he began to get some semblance of who Jesus actually was. And he saw Jesus is here. And I think Peter took a hard look at who he really was. And he, in that moment, out there on the Sea of Galilee, compared who he was to who Jesus was. And he saw too big a gap, too big of cavern. Like, I can't be in your presence. What are you doing hanging out with me? I'm a sinner. You are obviously not. I am just a mere guy and you are the Lord and I, uh, we can't be together. I am a sinner. And it's in that moment that I think Peter, it drops to his knees and he experiences what every single person in this world has to experience in their life. I am a sinner and I am lost and you are so good and I am so not and this is why I need you. Right here on the Sea of Galilee, there's this very essence of every single person's pilgrimage to the Lord. I am lost, I am a sinner, and, I, and I'm so different from you. And this is why Peter needed Jesus. This is why we need the Lord. This is why Jesus went to the cross. This, all of these things are wrapped up in this visual right here. I'll tell you, when it dawns on us who Jesus really is, and it dawns on us that without the Lord, there is no real peace in our life. And without God, there is no true comfort. And without the Lord, there is no eternal life. When there is this realization that we have, that we are lost people, that we are sinners dying in our sins and we need a Savior. When that thought and that realization hits us, it should be, in some degree, quite a terrifying moment. And I believe all of that is wrapped up in Peter's response here. I think Peter wasn't really afraid of his boat sinking. I think he was afraid of sinking in sin. And that revelation or that realization was brought on by being in the presence of Jesus. And that's why he was like, go away. That's just too much for me. I, we're too different. I'm, I'm, I'm way too lost. I, I can't. I can't. Go, you got to go away from me for a while. And then in verse 10, look at the second half of verse 10. Then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid, which is interesting because when you see words like don't be afraid, it's because you're usually, somebody's in the presence of an angel. And, oh my goodness, somebody, this is divine. Jesus has the same words. Peter, don't be afraid. There it speaks something to his realization of who Jesus was. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And we come back, why did Jesus give this huge demonstration for Peter, this huge catch of fish? I believe it was to give Peter a visual demonstration of what his life will become. It's not going to be about selling the Sea of Galilee for fish anymore. This is a huge turning point in Peter's life. There's no doubt this is the before and after for Peter. See, because Peter just sailed the sea for fish, but for the rest of his life, he will sail the world for lost people. He will preach the gospel. He will help launch the church. 
He will be a mover and shaker for God for the rest of his life, all until he dies and goes to heaven. And Peter said, or Jesus like, Peter, let me give you a glimpse of your future. You, my friend, are going to be responsible for a huge catch of people for Jesus. So much so, your influence will be so significant, it will be like these fish sinking this boat. That's this visual that Jesus gives Peter. And you know, that call right there, that Jesus gave to Peter right there on the Sea of Galilee, that, that same call is to each and every one of us. Every single one of us. Who have ever accepted Jesus as our Savior, this call to go fish is on our hearts. It pains me to say this, but I think the truth is many churches are full of really good people who enjoy spending time at the bait shop, but they rarely get in their boat and drop their nets for the catch. I, I, I want you to know and understand something about New Life Christian Church. And this is something that we all have to have clarity on. We feel so strongly here at New Life that the primary mission of the church is to go fish. And we are here to drop our nets for the catch. Jesus' command in Scripture is crystal clear. He says, go and make disciples. Baptize them and teach them. And that is what's going to continue to drive us as a church family, and we will be about this work of making disciples, teaching and baptizing until Jesus returns. And our mentality is, we have to go to any deep water. We have to go any time of day. We have to be willing to do anything that the Lord tells us to do. And we are to be obedient, and we are going to trust Him with the catch. We've got the nets. We said, Lord, where do you want us to drop? When do you want us to drop them? Where do you want us to drop them? And Jesus says, here, and we let him provide the harvest or the catch. Don't be afraid, Peter. Now you will fish for people. And that call is the same to us. Look at verse 11. Here's what they did. They did manage to get back to shore. It says, so they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed him. Don't let this verse pass over you too quickly. They pulled everything up on shore, everything they had, all their equipment, this largest catch ever, and they walked away and they followed Jesus. They left it all behind. And if you take that literally, they literally left it on the shore. Now, I don't know. Did they sell the fish? Did they sell the... I don't know. But the emphasis is clear. They were walking away from what they had known their whole lives. That, my friends, is a massive turning point. And this is why it's such a significant moment for, for Peter. They had seen enough, they had heard enough, and they decided to go with Jesus. And I'll put this challenge out there to you today. Have you seen enough, and have you heard enough, and are you ready to go with Jesus? I don't know every single one of you, and I certainly don't know everybody that's watching us online today, but my call to you, I hope you hear this clearly, that if you've seen enough, and you've heard enough, then what's stopping you from going with Jesus, in a sense, in your life, pulling up your boats on the shore and saying, I'm walking away from this. And those boats may symbolize sin. Those, those boats may symbolize a lifestyle that is, is not in sync with the Lord. Those boats may represent a lot of things that we would call unholy. And maybe this is your moment right here where you say, Lord, I am leaving it all behind. 
I've seen enough, I've heard enough. And I'm ready to walk with you. And that, my friends, could just be the biggest turning point of your life. Have you seen enough? Have you heard enough? Maybe it's time you go with Jesus. Well, we are called to be fishers of men, church. So let's go do some fishing together. Can we pray about it? Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray for this great catch. Lord, we pray for two things today. That, Lord, you will help us in our following. That, that Lord, we will be people that we leave here today and it's, and, and it's going to be, Lord, we will go and do whatever it is you would have us to go and do, Lord. If you say drop the nets, we'll drop them. It doesn't have to make sense to us. It doesn't have to gel with the world. It doesn't have to make sense to anybody as long as you're the one telling us to do it. So, Lord, I pray you help us in our following of you. And, Lord, I pray that, Lord, in that following, that there will be responses. That, Lord, right now we look out at our community in Bella Vista and the majority of our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers are lost. Lord, help us to never lose sight of that truth. That this community is full of lost people. And it needs Christians who are willing to go and say and do and obey anything you tell us to do. So Lord, help us to be those kind of people. And Lord, I pray that those actions fall on people who are open and receptive to your word. Lord, I pray that as always you continue to broaden the influence of our church family to more and more people so that we can reach more and more so we can teach, we can baptize, we can make disciples. Lord, this is a prayer. And Lord, we thank you for dying on the cross for us. We thank you for being more than our master. Lord, we thank you for being more than just a good teacher. Lord, we thank you for being more than just a, a doer of good things. Lord, we thank you for being more than just a healer. Lord, we thank you for being the king of kings and the Lord of lords who we get to spend eternity with. Lord, help us to live on earth in a way that prepares us for that moment. In Jesus' name, amen.